I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. And today. And today we celebrate what happened a few days ago, and that is the birth of Ashi Budig. That's not what we're going to talk about today. Happy birthday, baby! Yeah, but Ashi, Ashi turned 13, which means that we made for her a quote-unquote cake. I think we should tell the people about the cake, because this is... If your dog is anything like our dog, which means well, she nobody's will eat dog is like Ashi, anything and everything, her own feces, including her own feces, which is why I didn't really focus on making her cake umami. What you do is you take the base of a celery stock and you lop it, so that is your quote unquote cake, mm-hmm. and then you frost it with almond butter or a nut butter of your choice. Because you know how dogs feel about nut butters. Right. You know, some of them like peanuts, some of them are really snooty and only do cashew. <laughs> and then I took some canned wild salmon because mm-hmm. omega fatty mm-hmm. acids good for the babies. And then I topped it with some slivered carrot, good beta, beta carotene for their eyeballs, some kale crunchies because they like the texture, and then a few slices of banana because it's fancy. Uh, they obviously appreciate all of those flavors being blended together. Exactly. Everybody loves salmon and banana together. Mm-hmm. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. That is not what we're talking about on today's show, even though we've already talked about it on today's <laughs> show. So I guess it is what we're talking You're about on welcome. today's show. Now you have birthday cake doggy inspo. The roadmap for today's show for people, type A personalities, who need to know what's coming. I'm in a Mini Cooper. Where am I? Can't find me. We are having on the show Stacey Smallwood, who is the owner of Hamden, of James, of Small. Three boutique stores here in Charleston. And we're kind of doing this episode a little bit like a How I Built This. So we want to take people inside Stacey's world, the fashion world, how she built Hamden and Pull the curtain back on what a lot of the fashion world is about. Appealing for entrepreneurs, people who want to build something, who have that inspiration. People who love nut butter. People who love nut butter and people who love fashion and people who maybe have a chip on your shoulder about fashion. This is going to be a really fascinating episode for you to learn all the the nuts and bolts that go on inside the machine that is fashion and I obviously you're listening to this but I'm very proud of the title of this episode that I haven't even told Kate what Ooh. we're calling it yet oh do you, are you gonna well I guess it's this is odd because I always people already the know the title and I'm the only one in this equation <laughs> me you listener who doesn't know the title of this episode <laughs> this Twilight Zone uh, yeah I knew what it was okay. you know there's a new Twilight Zone out I'm very excited about yeah. that are you gonna tell me the name of this episode no That is so weird. That it feels very Twilight Zone to me. I know. (laughs) But you know, what I wanted to talk about today, and Catherine has allowed me to share this story with listeners before we jump into our awesome conversation with Stacey, is that I spent the week, well, a couple days this week in Detroit at the board meeting, because I'm on the board of a nonprofit. It's the first time I've ever been on a board. On flying home from Detroit, I was sitting next to somebody. He's like, what were you doing in Detroit? And I started it with, well, I'm on the board. I like sneakers. <laughs> I didn't start it with I like sneakers. <laughs> Detroit. I love lamp. Um, and it's called, it's called the Positivity Project. And the reason I think it's interesting to share is I'm, I, I do believe that we have a lot of teachers who listen. We have a lot of people who have kids. And the Positivity Project is started by two West Point grads who served in Iraq and Afghanistan. And it was really fascinating talking to one of the co-founders, Jeff Bryan, who I actually grew up next door to, which is why I'm on the board. What they do is they go into elementary schools, middle schools, and they teach 24 character traits. So instead of just teaching our kids about math and reading, they teach them words like 
open-mindedness and kindness did they and come love up with of these, learning. Did they come up with these 24 traits? This is one of them it has a master's in positivity, positive psychology. Uh, he studied at the University of Michigan and positive psychology is learning about our own strengths and weaknesses and being able to relate to other people in that in with that language, this common language that they call it. So they go into these elementary schools, middle and high schools, because even high schoolers sometimes they, they think they know what integrity is or prudence. These are a lot of them, but they don't really know what those words mean. And they don't really know how to establish their own identity outside of workism or success or achievement, what school they're going to go to, what they, what sport they play. They don't understand like, oh, like I'm someone who has perseverance and open-mindedness and kindness or all of this different common language. So to go in and hear these elementary school kids know what their strengths are and be able to say, we had conversations with them and they'd be like, I I really, my strength is open-mindedness and I love to learn things from other people's perspective. And you're like, what? Mm. I didn't learn that until I was 35. Right. I, I think society, yeah. this is really interesting because I used to lecture on Aim True, which is uh, what uh, so much of my, my book is named after that, my first DVD. It's this this concept that I teach. And one of the things that I would ask people after I would give the talk was for them to write down the, the top three qualities that they would possess. So for example, mm-hmm. if I was talking to their best friend and I said, why do you love Kate? Yeah. They would rattle off, oh, easy, boom, boom, boom. This what would is it why be, I you love think? them. I mean, hypothetically. Uh, she is a connoisseur <laughs> of oat milk. She These are outside validations. She has validation. the fastest spinning little legs I ever did see on a Peloton. Ooh. They're like the wind. They're like the wind. All right. So anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt with my own narcissism. But the thing that was... Narcissism is not one of the 24 character traits, by the way. No? Okay, (laughs) damn. So what was so fascinating about that to me is when you would ask people, what are your three most amazing traits that you possess? Most people would shrink from that thinking that it was narcissistic to say something good about themselves. Yeah. And I I don't know... Or they just genuinely didn't know. Or, you know, society doesn't invite you to celebrate what you're good at because we're supposed to be humble, right? Right. But I think being humble gets confused with not understanding who you are. Yeah. And you have to have a, a sense of your worth and what you offer to the world. And then hopefully you're humble on top of that. But... It that's, is a fascinating thing that people don't understand where the line between being humble and then understanding your worth yeah. is. And I don't know where we learned that. I don't, I don't think I learned that from my parents. I don't, I, I mean, we I do remember. stumble through it almost. Like, I, I think the reason I'm so fascinated by the Positivity Project is like, it is equipping kids with the understanding of what the strengths they bring to the table and the common language to be able to appreciate in other people that their strengths may be different than yours. And actually, this reminds me of when Shauna, your best friend, was visiting us recently and her almost five-year-old daughter, we were both very impressed with her level of confidence. Yeah. She was making comments like, oh, have you seen my drawings? I'm the best drawer in the world and I'm the strongest person in the room and blah, 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 blah. And part of me was like, wow, that is kind of a cocky attitude but the other side of me was like, yeah, I love this level of confidence yeah. to which we continue the conversation. Maybe it's best to give your kids as much confidence, maybe verging on being cocky when they're young, because the world will just rip you apart when you get older. And hopefully you have a strong enough foundation that you can handle that. Or I don't know. Or do you, if you start out too cocky, does that mean you can't take critique because you think you're so great, so complicated? We're gonna find all this stuff out with with, with the, the child positivity. that we but with the child that oh, yeah. we will. But that and, we'll, and so we will rear. <laughs> I think that for being able to see that elementary school kids had these twenty four 
vocabulary. Car- right, this vocabulary. And like, that some of them were things like appreciation of beauty. That mm. that's a character trait. I mean, because I, I scored very low on appreciation of beauty, meaning that I too often am walking around the world and I don't notice not other people's beauty, but even the wonder of a bird and a tree and and the environment. And I think for our kids growing up now to even understand that their imbued understanding of the beauty around them is a character strength that, that it isn't just how much money do you make? What school are you going to get into? And are you good at sports? Which is like right now at times, like when you walk into high school, it's like, that's the identity and the self-worth that our kids are drawing from. And so talking to the co-founders of this positivity project, just a quick, just a quick understanding of why they started it is because they were both serving overseas and trying to piece together other countries again, right? They were, they were trying to do the work of reconciliation in other countries and then coming home and hearing the conversation and the language that was being used among Americans, between Americans about the kind of divisiveness mm-hmm. that we're speaking to each other with. And they were like, well, we can't change that problem now, but what we can do is try to grow a next generation of kids who hopefully will come to the table one day and be the leaders of this world and be able to talk in a diplomatic way about who they are and what other people's strengths are and like this whole language that they want to instill. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, f- I sound like I'm like part of a cult right now, but... No, I don't think so at all. I, I, I'm just interested because we wear what's green. coming up for me is, yes, we're all raised commonly with this conceit that making money is a good quality. You know, if you are smart enough, you'll become a CEO, right? You get yeah. to the top. But if the younger people learn that there are ample positive traits that you can possess that have nothing to do with being successful at a business or that reaps a, a necessarily tangible uh, results that if you learn that young, you can be empowered by this is exactly yeah. who I am and I know my place in the world and what I offer to it, even if it doesn't fit the mold of what's come before me. Yeah. So I, I, I was really one of one, one of the 24 character traits is zest and enthusiasm <laughs> zest. And I love, I love that word. It's actually an underused word. And I left feeling zesty, zesty? about <laughs> this change that I see. I mean, they're in like something like 500 schools right now with the goal of hopefully being in more and more around the country. So anyway, it's called the Positivity Project. It, I think it, it, I took the one of the tests and I kind of got my top traits and what, not what they don't call them weaknesses. They just call them like maybe things that don't come as naturally to you. <laughs> right. So I don't know. Should we bring on, let's tell people about our guest today. Though. Yes. So, so today we are having one of our dear friends in a local business owner from Charleston, South Carolina. Her name is Stacy Smallwood, and she is the owner and founder of Hamden Clothing here in Charleston, South Carolina, as well as two other storefronts, James and Small by Hamden, which she will tell you everything about those stores. But um, th- this woman is amazing. She started in her 20s. She is one hell of an entrepreneur, and she owns over 5,000 square feet worth of businesses. She carries over 90 designer brands in her store and has been in business for 12 years. And she has quite the list of accolades. She's been named one of the best boutiques in the country by Vogue. She's had full-page features in Bazaar. She's appeared on the Today Show. She's killing it for little Charleston, South Carolina. She is on the forefront of fashion in America today. And she happens to be one of our dear friends who we recently went to Paris with her. So we got to see 
all the behind the scenes of what goes into running a store in the fashion world. And yeah. And that's what I love about this conversation with Stacy is that the back scene machinations of machinations. fashion yeah. is fascinating. And I think when you put whether back or not the, you like fashion, whether it's or not, I mean, you, whether or not you're like, well, I, this isn't, this conversation isn't for me. It's this conversation to me is about pulling back the curtain on an industry that I think there's a lot of preconceived notions about. And everyone needs to go back to the movie, The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. And you need to listen to the scene where Anne Hathaway talks about how, well, fashion just, you know, it's not part of me. And Meryl Streep's rebuke to that is money. And if you don't remember it, you just need to go find the movie right now. It's a fantastic scene and it definitely addresses how everyone is affected and touched by fashion, whether they realize it or not. You don't remember that scene, do you? Oh, I totally remember. Oh, They're do. standing in the by the desk because Anne Hathaway is an administrative assistant for Meryl Streep, who is um, the Anna Wintour of this movie. And Anna, Anne Hathaway appears and she's wearing like essentially like a, a, a gap outfit, right? With like a clogs or something like that, which there's nothing wrong with that. Probably Crocs. And she, uh, Crocs, not, not clogs. I guess that's a little bit... Uh, Norwegian. Hey, if you're in the food and bev world, you wear clogs all the time. Okay? I just want to let you know that like this scene is very vivid okay. in my mind. Kate is just trying to redeem herself in this moment. But everyone go watch that. Until then, this is Stacey Smallwood. Let's bring her in and let's start this combo. Let's do it, yo. Let's go. Let's get on our Peloton. <laughs> Stacey Smallwood. In the house, like literally in the house. <laughs> Literally in our house right now, talking, looking chic on a Saturday morning. What's up, Stacey? Looking cray. I'm so excited to be here because I'm a big fan of the podcast. When you were like, will you come do it? I was like, oh my God. (laughs) You actually sent me a really good gif. I did. I'm really into my gifts. Mm -hmm. Me too. What was the gif? I wasn't on this text strand. It was like the fast fanning you're about to pass out. Excitement kind of gif. Mm -hmm. That is the ultimate Mm -hmm. compliment. I was like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, But we're really excited to have you for many reasons. We wanted to formulate this episode kind of like a how I made this. How I built this. How I built this, which is similar to made and built. I feel like they're synonymous Totally. Words. I just was for the pe- listeners yes. of how I built for this. For the legit yes. podcast that exists. I know, I'm trying not exactly. to rip too hard. Um, <laughs> so you... You have been the owner and founder of Hamden Clothing in Charleston, South Carolina, on King Street for how many years now? 12 years. That's amazing. Yeah. And February 5th, 2007, we opened. At what Can you give the people a little information on your background and, and how Hamden was born? And yeah. then we'll just get going from there. Yeah. So um, I actually grew up in Greenville, South Carolina. And I went to Vanderbilt, and so I did not major in fashion. That is always um, probably the first question I get. I don't think you need to major in fashion Do people at all. want you to major in fashion? Yeah, I think that they think in order to go into fashion, you need to ma- have majored in fashion. But actually, at the end of the day, we have to pay our bills. So um, uh, I went straight from Vanderbilt into the Neiman Marcus Buying Program, and they recruit um, <clears throat> They recruit out of 10 schools in the country and they always look for business majors actually Mm -hmm. because so much of what we do is finance and budgeting and um, looking at history and numbers and analytics so that we can give the people what they want, you know? Um, 
so I went straight into the buying program in 2001 and um, was with them for five years, was an assistant buyer in designer sportswear, and then a department manager in the flagship store and was a department manager at like 24 years old. And my entire team was, was that in, unusual? Was in their 50s. Oh. It actually ran, was not that unusual, but it was very unusual because I had no retail floor experience. So I was like, 12 and they're 50 and I'm like oh by the way you got to listen to me I'm your boss that was quite interesting and that taught me a lot about myself and and how to get people motivated um and what was also fun it was the employee entrance and exit of all of corporate so um Bert Tansky um, was the CEO then, and he would always walk through my department and ask me to show him like what was selling and stuff, and that was just so cool. So I feel like I got a unique experience in like being right there with all the leaders of the company. And then it was time to go back up and be a senior merchandise planner, which was 100% financial. And I was like, you know what? I've managed a team. I've been around the product so much. I really want to stay around the product. And also it was a time in fashion where so much was happening in um, Alexander Wang was coming out. Rag and Bone was coming out. It was all these interesting New York brands that a lot of department stores didn't know where to put them on their sales floor. Because it was very much Gucci and Prada and Chanel and then on one floor and then the other floor was um, like Theory and um, Michael Kors. Michael. uh, No, you know what? Not Michael Kors. Stars. Michael Stars. Yeah, like lower price point. And there was no in between. And so I felt like they all existed and, and really how people were dressing was changing. So I moved back to Charleston thinking that I was going to get like a, um, maybe a manager job at a store. And then, um, in 2006, and then I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And I was 27 years old and, um, opened my store February 5th, 2007. And now looking back and June 1st, I turned 40. So I'm like, holy crap. I was <laughs> so young. I cannot believe I did that. And, but I think I was like just young enough and dumb enough to not know what I didn't know. And that was like, so good. The perfect recipe. Yeah. That was really good. It like, and like, you know, when you're in your twenties, you think you're invincible and you're like, I can do this. And I think that's, and then I was like, holy crap, maybe I can't. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, like at that point, your sample size is so low in terms of how the possibility of success. Like at that point, you're like, oh, I'm going to open this door. It's going to do great. Yeah. Because like you didn't, you hadn't, I'm assuming hadn't been in it long enough to see how often they fail and right. how often. Yeah. But so going back to even the decision coming out of Vanderbilt and majoring in business, yeah. why did you want to go into fashion? It was so funny. I have an identical twin sister and I'll never forget. I'm such a visual person. I remember I was sitting on the couch and my sister was like, go to that. They came for the like job fair or whatever. And my sister was like, go to that interview because that's the only thing that honestly you're passionate about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I can't make a career out of that though. And, um, and she was like, what does it hurt to just go? And it was a lengthy process. You had to, um, go interview, take a math test. You had to pass the math test. Then somebody, once you did that, somebody came back and interviewed you, flew back on campus and interviewed you. After you did that, then you got flown to Dallas for two days of interviews. Um, and there were four rounds of 40 people for 40 jobs total. 
it was intense. And I, I also <laughs> said in the interview, I think y'all laugh at this. I said, um, she, I'll never forget. She said, so do you have any questions? It was like the final, um, interview. And I said, yeah, how'd I do? <laughs> what the fuck? I mean, Lord, who was that's I? That's such a youngin thing exactly. to say. Like, Did I, I get the God. job? So, what do you think? You know. So, and that I also wanted to ask you, as someone who was so incredibly young, and everyone you're working with was almost twice your age. How did you earn their respect? Oof. My gosh. Did you earn their respect? <laughs> For anyone who's listening to this, who's young, yeah. you know, how do you walk that line of not being a snot-nosed little kid who's know-it-all? Yeah. You have to own your age. You know yeah. what? I, I learned so much from um, my buyer. She never asked me to do anything that she wouldn't do. She worked her ass off. And can I say ass? Yes. Of course, you can okay. say anything you um, want. I curse a lot because I don't yeah. have children. So I literally have no filter. But um, <laughs> so she worked her ass off. And I felt like, well, if she's doing that, I need to keep up with her. And also, like, I had, um, you actually, once you're in the um, program and you get hired, you have 12 weeks of training, and you rotate through different offices. And one of the offices I rotated through was um, this awesome lady, Hyla Eckelman, who's been with the company like 25 years, and one of her assistant buyers um, literally threw something back in my face and was like, that's not good enough. And I was like, what? I was like, yeah, it is. It's done. And she was like, I can't turn that in because that does not represent me. And you know what? Mm-hmm. That is what everything we need to look at is like, does my work represent me? Like, mm-hmm. is that how you want to put yourself out there? Like, and, um, also there were so many times that literally it was double words Prada. Do not speak yeah. unless spoken to like definitely got told that, um, wow. you know, um, don't you ever speak up in a meeting and, and contradict me. And you know what? She was right. I shouldn't have done that. Like, why am I thinking that I know more than her? And, and I think that when we're young, we think, well, I'll work hard. I can make it happen for you. But there's so much experience that we can't even know, um, that they have that take advantage and just sit back and listen. I don't think that when you're young, you listen enough, you know? Absolutely. So, so That's how a, I, I do want to get into like even the moment where you found the space on King Street oh and all that, but how, what how did what you learned from that buyer when you were the assistant buyer? How does that shape how you run Hamden now? Yeah, huge way because I think in the same way, like I'm over there swiffering, I'm taking out the trash. Like I really do lead from that perspective of I will do anything and everything um, that I ask you to do. You know, waltz in like Meryl Streep and yeah, I'm I'm on the sales floor. (laughs) I'm putting things back. There is at no point where I'm sitting there going, "I'm too good for this." Um, And I think that that is the approach that I take as a leader, and that's what my buyer taught me in a huge way. And you know what? I had so much respect for her because she had been doing this so long. And I I hope that anybody who listens to this and wants to get into fashion that you will sit back and say, "What can I learn from you?" Rather than sitting there and asking, let me show you this, or let me show you what I can do for you. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for somebody who says, I want to learn from you and I want to support you and ask you, how can I help you? And side note, can you explain to the listeners what a buyer is? Yes. Um, Wow. That could be a whole nother three hour podcast, (laughs) but um, there's so many misconceptions about fashion. I think that could be a whole nother podcast, but But can you lift um, the curtain for the listeners on what goes on behind the scenes? How, how do things 
come to your racks? Yes, How do they get that's there? That's so fun because I think that people magically um, think this stuff appears <laughs> and that I'm like, cool, what is this? It's a present. Ooh, sparkles. Um, but there are diff- there's so many different levels of fashion. So there are people who do like a case pack and they go online and they don't go to market and it literally is already chosen for them. Like an, two extra smalls, two smalls, a medium and a large. And they just buy in bulk. And They'll never see this in person before they purchase? No. And that's but a lo- much lower price point. When okay. you operate at the level where we are, um, I physically have to go to Paris, Milan, New York, and these two lovely ladies have come with me to Paris <laughs> market. I like Paris, yes. And um, gone to my Sakai appointment, which is literally our three favorite brand. Mm. Um, and so a lot of people think, why do you go to New York? Why do you have to go to London, Milan, and Paris? And I was like, because Stella McCartney only shows in Paris. Um, and that's the only place you can buy it. And so they do a runway show. And as a buyer, I go for the, to the runway show for inspiration. Like, how do you see the outfit put together? What do you think is important? Then I go into what almost looks like a store. It's a showroom, and that's what it's called. And there's just racks of clothing everywhere. And there may be with um, Sakai, say, 250 pieces of Sakai hanging on a rack. And we go through the rack and I say, I like this, 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 this. Let's pull it out, put it on a rolling rack, try it on a model, maybe style it the way I see it and where I think my customer would like. And that is, I bring home my point of view of what I think I love and um, my customers who shop at Hamden will love from Sakai. So you may go to Bergdorf Goodman and they have a totally different buy of Sakai. And I think people don't understand that. They think, oh, well, I've seen Sakai this season. I'm like, but you haven't seen my buy, my perspective of what I think is cool. And so like you may go to Bergdorf and see like the purple skirt and like I bought it in yellow. Like that's what's so interesting. And I think people don't realize that perspective. And so I will pull the things out and then I usually take pictures of every single piece I like. And then I go back and I give them the exact sizes um, of what I want. And then that bubbles up to a budget and, and then submit my order. And then usually it ships like six months later. Do you have to pay them immediately or you don't pay until delivery? Well, Every single vendor is different. Some European brands, we have to give them 30% deposit once we place the order. And that's very hard that's for That's a long time to go flow. without any profit yep. being earned. Without any money, any goods coming in. Yeah. Oof. And then um, 70% prepay. And then so say it's shipping from Paris, it can take two weeks. So you're out... $20,000 just waiting for the goods to come in. And then, it, so it's tough. I mean, reaching the level of where you're buying European brands, a lot of that is the output of cash flow um, prepay before the goods even get to you. And that's really tough to plan and budget and have the money to, to do that and play in that atmosphere. And believe me, I do this because I love what I do, and um, but I don't have Daddy Warbucks funding this puppy. So. That was going to be my next question for you. Yeah. So does that mean you either just have piles and piles of money that you're sitting on that you can spend? We're or... actually sitting on those piles of money right now. <laughs> How much is it? It's comfortable. Yeah. yeah, it's really comfortable. So when you started Hamden, does that mean you couldn't start with designers like that? You had to order from companies that were willing to pay upon delivery? But assuming you don't just have funds (laughs) or investors to allow you to start a store like this because you, I mean, so the saying goes, you need money to make money. Yeah. 
totally. So, um, That's when saying, I started, right? actually, yeah, my, <laughs> yeah, my, my, uh, you do need money to make money. Yeah. Oh, my, um, <laughs> my dad definitely co-signed a loan for me and helped me out. So that was awesome that he was willing to yeah. put like himself, um, on the line and say that like, I believe in you. And that's really what he was saying. And, um, so, but I didn't have a family in fashion. Um, and a lot of the stores that operate at my level now, like all their families in fashion, or maybe they own like Moe Hennessy or, you know, crazy rich, but anyway, (laughs) so, and there's just a tinge of jealousy there, but anyway, we're going to get back to the facts. Um, so I started and it was like knocking on doors. I mean, I had to go around and prove myself as an individual. And it was really funny because I was used to walking in and having the red carpet rolled out because I had Neiman Marcus behind me. Right. And then going on my own, I was like, well, it's going to be like that. Right. And then I walk in, they're like, who are you? And honestly, this one showroom I feel like was so great to me and helped me um, get some of the best brands and we still work together today. And it was, um, Christoph and he owns CD network and, um, he really believed in me and it was so scary. Obviously I'm 27 years old. He's like 50. And I was like, Oh my God, I want to like carry pretty clothes, you know? And I mean, obviously I didn't go in like that, but I sat down and interviewed with him and I was like, I believe in what I'm doing. I'm passionate about it. I will work hard and um they take a risk on me as much and say okay we're gonna let you buy these lines because you can't just walk into a showroom and be like hi I want that and they're like well who are you what's your vision what are you doing what does your assortment look like and what that means is like what other brands are you carrying and do we want our brand in your store Mm -hmm. um and that takes a long time to build up the respect of the fashion industry to say I'm cool I know what I'm doing I'm gonna pay my bills and um, and I'm going to do it in a beautiful way that you would be proud of having your clothes in my store. So, um, and he believed in me from the beginning and now it's really fun to see like where, you know, he's gotten so many new brands and carries brands like Forte Forte and Golden Goose and it's a multi-line showroom and, um, Harris Wharf and Holiday and, um, Espezi and Velextra, like all these brands that I carry now. And as he's taken his journey of finding new brands, I've, gone along with them and it's really cool. So you you touched on one thing that I think most listeners don't know about the fashion world which is that if you have money and you want to buy a line they some they sometimes they just don't let they you. They don't give it to you. Oh, no. Right. They're like, no "Oh no, you we don't know you're an unknown quantity and we don't want to possibly taint our brand mm-hmm. by having it in your store." And, but, and then that's fascinating to me. And not only that like Sakai like said no or like Simone Rashaw who I love like mm. Neiman Marcus that's what I got married Neiman, in by the way <laughs> which is gorgeous <laughs> go check out those photos on Instagram um the Neiman Marcus like begged and begged and begged forever for Simone Rashaw and I had it I was like boom oh you got it before Neiman Marcus oh yeah girl, yeah. girl. Mm-hmm. um so but I if you could in a very concrete way take the listener through like what you have to pay for a piece just mm. you know then when it's on your showroom floor, what the cost is to the buyer, what the, you know, the difference is between those when you mark it down, how far do you have to mark down before you like, just, like take a specific example, especially since yeah. so many people look at your level of designers and think, Oh, that's just so much money. I would never, why do they even charge that much yeah. Yeah. for that person who has that mentality? How do you ex- explain this? Yeah, totally. Um, 
honestly, I think we forget in fashion because the it's been so like this idea of selfish and like over the top and silly and but there is a woman who sits down and personally sketches it out, has like a vision, just like an artist does on a piece of paper and, and says, this is my vision. This is, and I'm going to like 3d come it, you know, bring it to life through a garment. And then she has integrity behind that and doesn't have five-year-old kids in China sewing it. So it costs money to, for her to have these things, sewn and put together and she uses the finest fabrics and you know it is so many people it takes to put together and then like even the fact that you have to have somebody physically box it up and ship it up and package it up in a beautiful way so it doesn't get damaged on the way from Paris to to Hamden in Charleston South Carolina and there's so many levels of people that it takes to get to my door and cost them so much money Mm. and then um so say a garment retails for a thousand dollars from us, it probably it usually costs me um, the garment like around five hundred dollars, and then so the difference between five hundred dollars and the thousand dollars that I sell it for, and P.S. The internet changed everything. There is a huge misconception that a boutique charges more than like a net a porter or or something like that. That is absolutely false. Um, we are given the retail amount to sell it for the designer dictate. I mean, that's price fixing, but let's be real. It's called suggested prices. <laughs> you think I'm going away from that suggested price? Right. Not if they, you want to keep carrying that. Exactly. Line. They'll be like, I suggest you don't buy it anymore. <laughs> so, um, so there's suggested prices and we use those prices. They tell us what we can retail it for. So we're not making this up. We're right. not coming out of thin right. air. Um, so then, the difference between the cost and the retail is that $500 is what I use to pay my rent, my electricity, my awesome employees who are not on commission. They're all on salary and they do this as a career and passion. And I think that's so amazing. And that was a conscious choice for me Love that you do that. because they're not going to push you into something you don't need. And that's way more integrity behind it. Every single department store, people are on commission. That's how they make their money. So, um, and all the expenses for me to travel to go buy the brands. So once something goes on sale, I think, again, there's a misconception at 40% off that I'm just still tonning it. And like, how can they mark it down? Well, we have to, because like, we have to match what maybe the Net-A-Porter and we have to turn our entire spring inventory and put it all away. It has to, we turn you know, our entire inventory twice a year. So every single item leaves the building. Um, it's like literally starting a new company every six months. If you think of it that way, mm-hmm. you know, you're, um, if you did a gym and all the, all the money you put into the equipment and you pay it back, you know, um, I have to do that almost like every six months. So the liability is huge for us because I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know if all these things are going to sell mm-hmm. at regular price. And so once it goes to 40% off, I'm literally just basically making my cost back. And that cost, um, I, it doesn't pay for the rent and stuff. Right. So it basically I, just it stays for having bought the piece. pays for having bought the piece. And right. then, so it's like, how do you pay your rent? How do you pay your employees? Yes. Um, and then it's so 60, 40%. That's where you're pretty much cracking even. I mean, it's, I guess it's 50, but if you really look at it, 40% like that, I still have, I pay still for have the, to pay everybody I, and pay. Yeah. yeah. I pay for the shipping. So yeah. like on top of the garment, it still probably cost me $150 to ship it. Yeah. So like on top of the cost of the garment, like, yeah, basically 40% I'm breaking even. And then at 60% off, I'm, at, I'm literally paying you to take it. 
Wow. <laughs> you know, 75, I'm like, fuck it's it, free. take it. You know, <laughs> I paid more for the damn garment. You're winning, honey. So um, that's where I always laugh that I think they're like, how can they do that? It's not like, how can we? It's, it's the nature of the beast. So you hope that you buy right so that you have um, customers who love what you do and see the value in the garment so that we can keep doing what we love to do. Yeah. Okay. So I, I want to talk about that point like that. You hope you have customers who like the edit, like the quote yeah. unquote, the choices that you've made in the clothes that you've purchased. When Catherine and I joined you to go to Paris and see what it was like looking at these clothes and buying them, what I found fascinating was like, the way your mind had stored all of these versions of who the customer could be for mm. each piece. Yeah. So like, mm. it wasn't solely Stacy choosing what the Stacey clothes she loved. It was like this really finely tuned understanding of who walks through your door. Like I remember we were at one brand who was doing more like kind of, not bridesmaids dresses, but wedding type dresses. And you were like, if I buy that color, I need this, you know, I need a young woman who's there for a wedding, who hasn't yet found a dress for the rehearsal dinner, mm-hmm. who, you know, who, who wears a size small. Yeah. So she comes in and all of a sudden she's a medium or a large and I've, I've only bought this in, you know, small. Anyway, so can you take us through how you got to that fine, finely tuned understanding of who your customer was? Yeah, and I think that's what makes um, shopping at a a small boutique or a boutique different than a department store because we are like one step away from the designers. I'm on the sales floor talking to my customers, helping them in the dressing rooms and seeing what works and why it doesn't work. Like why do they want a sleeve? Why do they, you know, want something fitted at the waist so that it shows off their tiny waist and not their butt, you know, like, Mm. and being in the dressing room and really understanding that is so important where, the department stores are in their offices. They're not on the sales floor. They're not in the dressing rooms. So what they look at is the numbers and the analytics behind it. And then they go just buy like what the numbers tell them. And I'm in there thinking like, well, you know, Joan last year got this awesome fringe skirt. And you know what? That would be really cool back to that skirt. And maybe it's not always that specific. It, it really is down to, okay, last year we had so many, we're the number two wedding destination in the country. Um, Charleston is. So it's a need for women to come in who are visiting, you know, their friend who's getting married to maybe have a cocktail dress. Like they brought one, but they want another one. And then a lot of them actually have them in gardens. So they need a heel that has a thick heel. Mm, And so they don't sink in the grass. Like these are the crazy things that I think about when I'm at market, but it's because I'm on the sales floor and talking to my team and talking to my clients. So it's, it's keeping my clients in mind at every single level, whether I've met them or not. And what's so fun is I really do take a list of like maybe our top 25 clients and I'm like, oh, what size are they? Oh, you know, Miss Smith or Jane is a size two. So if I have to choose, I'm going to add a two to that because I think she'll really love that. And that is the level of personal shopping and service that we give once we get to know you. So um, it is to that magnitude. So I think that's so fun. We're literally in Paris picking something out for you. So I, I want to take it back to the, the price points of these more exclusive designers because I, I still think that for the mainstream, that's where a lot of people struggle. Totally. And, you know, I have a background where I, <laughs> I would say probably 80% of my closet was free people. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew deep down 
that, you know, with these like H&M's and Free People and bigger companies like this. I mean, those are two very different companies though, H&M and Free People, right? well, Of course. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. size-wise. Yeah. yeah. But still, like and mainstream. And and... Absolutely. Both. And th- those were not synonymous, my apologies, but still mainstream larger companies yeah. because Free People is under Urban. Right. Urban Outfitters. So stuff that I know is mass produced. That's a really good point. Hold on. I love that. Free People is under Urban Outfitters. Did y'all know that Amazon owned ShopBop? You know? Yeah, yes. Like, so like there's, it's kind of funny, like learning those things, like educating big, ourselves on that. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I know in retrospect, I probably could have learned more and I'm not dissing free people. I'm not dissing any yeah. of these companies, but I think getting to know you better woke up this awareness of mass production. Where is it coming from? Who's producing? What's benefiting? Mm-hmm. And so obviously when you look at something like an Isabel Morant or a Sakai or an R13, these much smaller produced larger companies, which charge more, mm-hmm. you know, that's the, the conflict it, I had. Yeah. There's a, a pair of R13 shoes that's coming out that I want badly and they're sneakers and the price point is crazy. And I got really emotional about it because I just couldn't wrap my little brain around why a pair of sneakers would cost that much. And then I was talking with a local friend here, Andy, who owns yeah. Jade Atelier. She has this amazing atelier and she specialized in making shoes when she was in school. Mm. And so I talked to her about that because she was talking about how many production-wise, how many sizes do you make and how many of each do you make and how much it costs per shoe, per size. And it was blowing my mind yeah. at how expensive it was getting. And so I asked her about these shoes. I was like, okay, this company, they probably only release maybe 10 styles tops per season, maybe not even. No, like and she's like, four. oh, honey, that's why it costs so much mm-hmm. because they have such a small run and such a small style offering. Mm-hmm. So... I guess it somewhat placated me where I was like, oh, well, now I totally feel okay spending this absurd amount of money on these shoes. But it, it, I don't think the general consumer has any concept of why these numbers are... And the uh, impact that companies like H&M are actually having on yeah. the, Right, which world. leads us to the fact that the yeah. fashion industry is the number one... Two. Number two... Polluter is, to it, the environment. Is factory Weird. farming number one? No, I think oil. Oh, oil. Okay. Will you kind of take us through like why that is? To global like, warming. What, yeah. By yeah. the way, what is that like? Why is fashion, and why don't more people? You can't answer this, but how come people aren't aware Talking of about this? it? Yeah. I know. So fast fashion really came about almost like in 2010, like took off, you know. And is that like a Forever 21? Is Forever that fast 21, fashion? So that's quote H&M, fast fashion. Fast fashion. Like they see it on the runway, and then boom, tomorrow they have a knockoff version in their stores. Exactly, it's a knockoff. So say like you're a beautiful artist, and you're sitting here listening to this, and you created this awesome painting. You put it in a gallery. Your heart and soul is in it. You're so proud of it. And then, oh, by the way, you then you turn around, walk down the street a week later, and there's 20,000 of them, you know, out for $10. I mean, it would destroy your soul, you know? And there's something around art that we can understand why that would be bad, and you wouldn't want the knockoff version. But then in fashion, it seems like that's just not, they don't understand the, the equivalent. So there's an amazing documentary called The True Cost, and it would absolutely encourage everybody to go watch it because it's fascinating and obviously everybody takes a part in the fashion industry whether you like it or not it's kind of like that whole devil wears Prada moment um you know we have to mm-hmm. make a choice to get dressed every day and so what are our choices I'm not saying that everybody can afford a thousand dollar dress all the time because I get it believe me but what I'm saying is don't um like be mad or or like that's ridiculous as if we're making up these prices you know um so because H- making clothes that 
don't affect the environment in a negative way or the people making expensive them business. It is yes. very yes. expensive. And we, you know, we're talking about there's so many people and so many hands that have to touch it. And the quality in, in which you do it is very expensive. Um, so in the true cost, it really talks about the amount of runoff of a garment. So say H&M produces 10,000 units of this same t-shirt when they actually cut the pattern out and cut the piece, there's all this extra fabric that is wasted Mm. and literally they just toss it aside. And let's literally think about it. If you're paying $9.99 for retail for a t-shirt, how much do you think it costs them to produce? It costs them a dollar, uh, probably not even that. Yeah, probably twenty five cents. So if that costs them twenty five cents to make, how are they paying their people yeah. out of that? Like with any sort of integrity, like they're they're not. It's in Bangladesh and it's in you know China, and they're they're not paying the people, and they're putting them in crazy work environments and making them work long hours. And but they're doing it so they can give you a ten dollar t shirt. So and but the runoff of all this extra fabric, and then the idea of we've gotten so used to. Um, getting a $10 t-shirt and being like, oh, well, I'll wear it three times and throw it away. That's literally even all the way down the road where it's like no big deal to throw our clothes away. If you even just think about, you know, 1800s, you'd have a dress and you have four dresses and you wear them mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. What's wrong with re-wearing our clothes a lot? I kind of mm-hmm. love that the celebrities are starting to re-wear their gowns and things. Yeah. So, um, and I, I truly come from the idea of like less is more. Um, you don't need a new wardrobe every single season. You can come in and buy one great piece from us just one and then if you start doing that you know maybe every four months you're gonna love what you have and you're gonna re-wear it a ton of times and always feel beautiful in that piece and when you feel beautiful in that piece then it radiates and you go into that party that you were super nervous about and you walked in alone and then but you radiate confidence because you're so proud of yourself and happy it it's inevitable it leads to this confidence that we um you know so I I love that idea rather than just tossing aside things and moving on did you want to jump in oh I I just totally relate to what you just said even last night Kate and I went out for the first time in like 30 days because we've been doing the whole 30 as our (laughs) listeners know because we we stopped (laughs) drinking the alcohol and we wore sweatpants but we actually took the time to get dressed up and do our hair and put on makeup and we had a moment looking in front of the mirror of like, it's almost impossible to put a price on what makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. And when you can look in the mirror and be like, yes, Mm -hmm. that just is such a euphoric moment. Cause it's hard. It's hard to feel good in your skin sometimes. And sometimes just a little extra layer on the outside of your skin does the trick. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is I had a customer who was buying her first pair of golden goose and it's such a trend right now. And I was literally sitting on the floor with her, like tying her little laces. And she said, you know, well, how do I do this? What's the right way? And I looked at her and I said, however you want is Mm -hmm. the right way. There is no like right way to do it. If you feel beautiful in it, then rock it. Like that is all that matters. Like, I don't think there's like, you can't wear this or you can't wear that or like watching the golden globes I specifically made a point to only put all the people that I thought I love what they were wearing and not like oh I didn't like this because why who cares if I didn't like it they loved it obviously and they felt great in it so that's all that matters so you know people get so intimidated by fashion and that you oh my gosh I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know how to wear it the right way well how you feel good if you feel good I don't care if you're wearing the kookiest, craziest outfit ever. Mm -hmm. If you feel good, that's the right way. Okay, so I want to transition a little bit because what I found really interesting in times we've talked about your business is that as much as it's like numbers and business, it's also very much 
psychological and sociological, mm-hmm. like the amount of thought that you and your team put into the mind of someone who walks through the door mm-hmm. is fascinating. Because mm-hmm. I, I, when we first went to Hamden, I, I just assumed everyone was on commission. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you do, there is this like, we were also intimidated by Kate. We were like, oh my gosh. She's very intimidating. <laughs> but Unless you live with her. <laughs> and, and now then, I've gotten to know her and I love her. So. And, then and you happens? know she wouldn't last 10 seconds in Jurassic Park. <laughs> yes, I would. I'm going to look at that T-Rex and I'm going to give it that look. I'm going to give it blue steel. I would last. Okay. So I, you know, the first time I walked in, I had all these assumptions that you guys were working on commission. And then, you know, so you, you, as a, as a person, customer walking in, you have this expectation of what the salesperson is thinking and what they want from you. And so it's like this very specific dynamic. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's walked into a store, you know, it's like, will they talk to me? Are they asking me how my day is? And then they leave me alone. Are they going to follow me? Are they going to ask me another question? Like, what is the... Mm-hmm. style of sale. So anyway, mm-hmm. I want to, can you walk us through what you and your team talk about when it comes mm-hmm. to how you want to approach yeah. each person who walks through the door? Yeah. So we, um, have a morning meeting every morning, well, m- Monday through Friday, um, nine 30 to 10, um, and collectively talk about what we have on our day, like who's coming in. And then also like how we want to show up, like who do we want to be? Because we can't control you know, who they're going to be, or maybe they're going to be a jerk to us or whatever, but we can control how we be and how we, the expectation we set for the environment that someone walks into. And I always say to people that I'm like, so they walk up and down King street, which is awesome because it's almost like Madison Avenue in New York. There's tons of shops. And I said, they've already had someone be a complete asshole to them 42 times. So by the time they get to us, they're probably pissed off Mm. and they make an assumption. And, and, and I was like, so what we never ask, like, can I help you with anything? And I was like, so we really, because, um, you're, going to get yes or no answers. Like don't ask, a, mm. don't ask a question with yes or no as the answer. You know, even like, how's your day going? It's so beautiful outside. We kind of give them the lay of the land as we say, like, Hey, just so you know, like we're, we are separated by designer. We've got some great shoes over here. I even, if I can already feel like that, they're like a little upset. I'm like, just, and, um, like, I'll grab a garment from them. Maybe they picked up something they like or and from there we'll make a suggestion. And then I can see them, you know, say, oh, well, they already put something in a room. And I said, no problem. We're all here to help. And just so you know, no one's on commission. I literally right. half the time mm-hmm. even tell them because I was like, I want to ease your mind that we're in, you're in a safe place, right. you know? And we call it retail therapy for a reason because, um, you know, once you get down, get them to the dressing room, it's a place where people are at their most vulnerable. They're literally naked. Right. And we've seen women in their most difficult parts of their life, maybe going through a divorce or they may, maybe they've had breast cancer and they just had a double mastectomy and they come to us and they're like, I just need some clothes because I don't have rest anymore. Like, how do mm-hmm. I get dressed? And, you know, we want people to get to that place with us where we're making a genuine, legitimate connection with people. And that's not always possible with everybody who comes in, but that's the goal in the end is to make a connection in a way where you have an experience and you walk away and are like, I had so much fun. Like we had these really fun ladies from Dallas last night and they were cracking me up. Like we gave them, we literally made them cancel their dinner 
dinner reservations because they were going to <laughs> terrible places. And I was like, you can't do that. We want you to have fun while you're yeah. here. Like it really goes. And I was like, we give them our city guide that is not like, it's just fun places that we like. And I wrote down notes of like where for them to go grab a drink. And you know, it, it, that's all part of it. Like we want you to enjoy Charleston. We, we want you to enjoy fashion and um, whether that's buying literally $125 top or $3,000 gown. Like, um, so we do talk about, um, being present and not being emotional. And you know what it, by not the commission thing, it cuts out a lot of that drama too, because you're not, you know, you've walked into a store and you're like, ugh, they're hounding me. They're fighting over me and mm-hmm. like trying to push me into a bunch of crap. Like that doesn't, you can kind of feel the difference immediately because you're like, no one's here to push me into a bunch of junk, you know? So hopefully people have that experience when they come in. Um, and honestly, it puts more pressure on me because they don't make any more money if you buy something. <laughs> so I'm like, hey guys, we got to pay the bills. So, um, yeah. but I'm like, that's where we talk about um what the garment is and why I styled it and why I brought it in and how the designer envisioned it. And we go over all of those things and they have access to my complete buy by designer. So they can always give them, give our, um, clients the, all the information they need. Like they're ahead of the game in so many ways. And then we have awesome people like Jesse Randall just came to town and Lizzie and Catherine Fortunato and Amy, the designer of Tibby literally texted me and was like, Hey, can I just come hang out at your store on Friday? And I'm like, "Mm, casual. Okay, great. (laughs) Sure. Um, and those kinds of experiences are what make us unique. And that's what we're trying to bring to our client is that connection to fashion in the way that we love it. Okay, you got you go. I have one more thing that I want to touch upon that before it gets so far behind us that we forget. Okay, I just want to bring it back to the the eco friendly component, mm-hmm. well, the global warming component, mm-hmm. because I really want to speak for the people who don't have hundreds of dollars to spend totally. on clothes. Absolutely, you know, because um, I just don't want anyone feeling isolated. Like, oh, that's great, but I will never own a thousand plus and, dollar. And I am buying ten dollar t shirts because I need to yes, buy $10. Exactly. Totally. And yeah. I was and let's be real. I, I have some Zara in my oh, closet. You oh know? my gosh. I know. Well I we was raised want, by a bargain shopping mom. It, it still brings oh, me. I shopped at TJ Maxx. I mean, TJ Maxx, Marshalls, Marshalls oh Life, Target. Yes. Like the things that still bring me joy, but as I learn more, I, I start to think, okay, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. So and I don't know if you have this answer. Yeah. But for the people who are like, hey, I have a limited amount of funds to spend on clothing Mm -hmm. and I don't want to be contributing to hurting the earth, but my wallet is only going to get me so far. Like what advice do you have for people who want to be more conscious about what they're consuming, but have a very limited budget to work with? Yeah. Um, Do they go to the real real? And try to shop off of that. But even that is mm-hmm. in the real, real for, for listeners. Just well, at least that's recycled that, clothing. Yeah. So you're not adding top designers, to but global warming yeah. by buying off of used clothing. I'm just saying a lot of the price points on the real, real are also unattainable. Absolutely. Or do you just do you go to consignment shops and hope that you can yeah. find? Yeah. What better? advice do you have for them? Um, there are a lot of eco-friendly, less expensive designers out there. You know. Um, do you have any off the top of your? Well, no, of course, like I work in the, you know, Stella McCartney is actually <laughs> eco-friendly, but obviously that's Super not, expensive. or you know what? Like everybody always comes in Hamden and is like, I'm so sorry. I shop your sale. And I was like, girl, somebody's got to buy it. I love that we have a sale customer. Yeah. There's tons of times where we have 75 off and, and instead of being the thousand dollar dress, now it's a hundred bucks. I mean, yeah. um, our sales are amazing. Yeah. Your um, sales are insane. And everything is on hamdenclothing.com. 
So you, anybody can buy it, but I do think that's a great question. I do. I, I don't have, um, the answer. Um, maybe, you know, maybe it's like not, maybe it is still shopping at Zara, but not buying 25 things you don't need. Maybe it's buying five mm-hmm. and remembering that like, Hey, I can make a bunch of different outfits with these five pieces, you know? And then obviously even just not buying a bunch and throwing it away is still a choice. Buy that's, less, yeah. be more thoughtful about yeah. your purchases. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you know, I think people go in and just grab a ton of stuff and they're like, I'll figure it out. And I still don't feel good about myself. Like, um, I always tell customers, take the time to go in the dressing room, no matter where it is and just try it on. It's free to try on, take that time because you deserve it. And no matter what store you're in and, um, make sure you feel good in it and don't buy it unless you do, you know, throughout the 12 years that Hamden has been in existence. How close have we come to Hamden shutting their doors? <laughs> God. Uh, yesterday? No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Um, is it like this perpetual thing in your mind? Like is. money goes out the door? You said that you ask your team once a week, right? About um, what, like the cost versus... I'm not a business person. Yeah. Don't you talk about? Yeah, we do. That? We I am very transparent with my team and talk about how much it costs. Like I even was like, oh my gosh, you guys, just in case you think I'm like tunning it and make you know sitting on these piles of cash, um, I, my tax bill was ginormous. Yeah. Like and got that lovely email on Friday and was like, it's due, and I'm like, oh my god, where's this money coming from? Um, I mean, we talk weekly about cash flow and like how cash I, flow. That's what it's called. Cash flow. How I'm gonna pay the bills. <laughs> And it is a constant conversation in my life. I cry incessantly, but I love what I do. So um, honestly, one of the hardest things was in the crash of 2008. Um, We weren't established yet. We'd only been open about a year and three months or a year and a half, I guess. And, um, and it was radio silent, you know, September, 2008, um, we, it was devastating. Um, we even had a bank call our line of credit, just, um, sorry, like a a factor company call our line of credit because they needed the money and we weren't late on bills or anything. And they just called it. And that was awful. We had to like cut them this check. And I was like, I don't have the money. Like there's been so many times where I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'm going to make payroll. Like being an entrepreneur is so scary. It is so intense um, because it's not like I'm over there being like, oh my God, it's so fun. And, you know, I love fashion, but at the end of the day, I have to pay my bills and I have like almost 15 employees now. So I have 15 people relying on me for their living and that's scary. And I want to make the right choices and not be um, overzealous in taking these risks. But then my clients come to me for the risks that I'm taking mm-hmm. and for evolving and growing and so like I just in November opened my um like technically third store called small so James is my shoe store Hamden's the designer store and small is the contemporary store so James Hamden small was my great great grandfather who came from Scotland to Charleston so I don't have kids so these are my three babies (laughs) and um literally my husband looked at me and he was like do you really need to do this and I was like yeah I do I mean just my gut and I was like where's the money coming from and I'm like I don't know And, you know, but I'm like, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep pushing the limits because that's what feeds me. And I think that's what our clients come to us for. And I was like, we'll figure it out. Oli's here. Oh my God, people. (laughs) The delivery of oat milk has just arrived at our front porch. FedEx has pulled up. But even possibly better news. I have two parting fantastic pieces of news for everyone. Okay. One 
is that you can go on to hamdenclothing.com and get 10% off. Hashtag free cookies. Using the code free cookies, courtesy of Stacy. Yes. Thank you, Stacy. This is special for the listeners. And you know, if you get much more than 10% off, you are just hurting her. You are hurting <laughs> her soul in her store and everyone who works for her. <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh gosh, but yeah. so you can use that code. And the second piece of really amazing information for us, not you. What's that? Free cookies. Oh, you got some cookies. I got cookies. Laura's oh. wholesome junk food. And my favorite thing on the side is after real food for real people. It's called satisfying portions. So. Hey, Stacy, what's your favorite cookie? Okay. I know I prepared for this. Yeah. Um, actually, a sugar cookie with sprinkles. Um, and I, I can No treat- frosting? Actually, no. Um, hmm. I, Sarah Frick like is obviously one of all of our friends. And I say that our friendship is perfect because like I like the cake part and she likes the frosting. Oh, <laughs> oh I love the cake part You guys are so too. simpatico. Birthday I cakes. I don't like the frosting. I just want the no, cake. No, she literally licks it off and hands me the cake. And I'm like, perfect. Hey, that's perfect. You guys are perfect for each other. We are. We're going to have a lady commune, actually. Ooh. All four of us. Oh, bring it. Yeah. Lady commune. Well, until then, you can follow Stacey at Hamden Clothing um, on Instagram. It's H-A-M-P-D-E-N is how you spell it. Also, HamdenClothing.com is where you can shop. Also, Stacey carries my line. She carries my collection that I did with Kira Grace. So if you can't find anything on KiraGrace.com, check it out. It's going to be at Hamden Clothing. Com. And thank you for listening to this episode of How I Built This. And, and <clears throat> oh my God. So There's like a million more things I could talk about, Joe. And just support local, y'all, wherever you can. There are people putting their hearts and souls into this. And I know a lot of you are doing that who are listening to it right now. So thank you for your work. And I hope we can all support each other. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Stacey. Awesome. Love you. That will do it for today's episode. We would love if you could support Free Cookies at Patreon. It's patreon.com backslash free cookies. That's why we don't have ads on the show. So you can just hear us, assuming you like that. Do you not want to hear If this show is valuable enough to you, equivalent to, say, the equivalent of like an oat milk latte that you might spend $5 on, then maybe toss us... A couple dollars on Patreon so we can continue to make this show and keep or it ad-free. Or maybe you think $5 latte is a bougie thing to do, but you still want to support us. It would be awesome if you could help us out on patreon.com forward slash free cookies podcast. We would also love if you could follow us on free cookies podcast on Instagram, because once we get to a certain number, we can add a link to the show. It's this weird thing that Instagram it's does. It's a swipe up. You have to a have 10,000 followers to have a swipe up. Why do you do that, Instagram? Why Instagram, do you, owned why by do Facebook. Do I have that? something to say to you about the way that tech companies are designing their products and rotting our brains, but we will leave <laughs> that be. Mute. We will leave that be. Also, don't forget, if you would like to support Stacy at HamdenClothing.com, you have the special code only for our listeners. It's free cookies. You can plug that in when you shop online at HamdenClothing.com, H-A-M-P-D-E-N, clothing, I'm pretty sure we all know that one, .com, and you get 10% off your purchase. This show is produced by Lindsay Collins, Lindsay Collins of FNB you. Radio, who loves my oat milk lattes. And as always, I just want to thank the people who have taken the time to rate and review our show. Turns out there's only one of you since last time. What y'all doing, yo? Just one, just one Peasley little review. Peasley, but you know what? Peasley. Peasley. But, but we, but we're the very size thankful of a for this one. We're thankful review. to Loving Shazam! Exclamation point. 
because they said love who they have on and what they themselves have to say as well. Always love Boom. to listen. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, that's right. Shazam. Yeah, Shazam. That's, with her numbers. That, it, loving Shazam. Loving explanation Shazam. point. Yeah. So, so that's what's up. So give us the love. Rate us. Review us. Say the nice things to us because we have small little egos and we need to boost them. Need you know, this is the part of the show where you can hide little Easter eggs. Should we have like a really dope segment now? Because people have already started the next podcast. Yeah, they, they don't listen to this end part. So I think we need to start having hidden Easter eggs where... My we, social security number is... That's a big Easter egg. <laughs> we could have like... We should just let the people go now. My routing number. <laughs> my Chase routing number. I'm, uh, anyone who gets this, you can take $50 from my account. It's 9724. off of Hamden and $1,000 from our account. Bye. Peace. <laughs>